welcome to 2021. Woohoo! Right? Hey, uh, 2020 was uh, quite a year, I must say. And in fact, uh, I would kind of call it a topsy-turvy, landscape-shifting year. Landscape-shifting in a whole number of ways. Uh, we are no longer postmodern. We are post-Christian. Just a whole number of things and shifting of the landscape with what's taking place. And uh, we enter uh, a new year with great opportunities for God's glory and for our growth in that. And uh, in light of all of the topsy-turvy landscape shifting, I would kind of say, here we sit on Sunday, January 3rd together. And uh, I would suggest that we are all a bit seasick. We're all a bit seasick. I mean, that's what happens, uh, at least what they say, can happen on a cruise. Uh, one of the reasons I'm not on one, not my thing. But they say, if you start getting motion sick on a cruise, that you should do three things. One, you should go to the top deck or the highest deck that you can go to. Two, you should focus on the horizon. And three, you should drink plenty of water. I'm going to suggest that's really what these first four Sundays here are about, because I think we're all a bit motion sick from life. I think it's been topsy-turvy, and it's just time to get refreshed together. So we're going to invest these four Sundays in getting refreshed. We're going to kind of, if you will, we're going to go to the top deck. We're going to uh, focus on the horizon, if you will, and uh, we are going to drink plenty of the living word of God and uh, seek to get refreshed out of that time. And today, we're going to start with uh, refreshed in the gospel story. Uh, the gospel. When I think about the gospel, a uh, thought I want to put on the table. Uh, oftentimes, uh, in our communication of the gospel, the good news, the great news of Jesus Christ, I actually think we can become overly mechanical and actually overly transactional in that conversation. That is very Western culture. We are very mechanical people. We are very transactional people. Make the mechanics, do the formula, make the transaction, move on to the next. We're pretty good at that kind of stuff. We are really good mechanical Marthas, if you know what I'm talking about in the Bible. Martha, sit down and just abide with me. And so the whole idea of relationship with God, because oftentimes we kind of have this idea that, uh, which is true, we have this idea of, uh, of uh, hearing the gospel, whether it's through the bridge illustration, which is what uh, I totally use, the uh, four spiritual laws, the Romans road, the uh, way of the master, so on and so forth, all great means of communicating the gospel of, of you and I owe a debt that we cannot pay, yet one has come and paid that debt for us, and yet then it can kind of move into the, so make the transaction. Uh, walk forward, uh, raise your hand, pray the prayer, uh, do the mechanical transaction. And then I just go, so no wonder then after that, we start with this highly mechanical transactional kind of beginning with God. And then the idea of relationship with God, it seems, well, it becomes mechanical and transactional and formulaic. So today, I want to kind of undo some of the mechanical and some of the transactional. I want to try and uh, refresh us in the gospel story, um, maybe in a bit of a different way. Um, I just want us to get refreshed, okay? So wherever you are at, 
in your relationship, in your thinking about, in your understanding of the Lord, I think, I pray in my inability to communicate that God would communicate and would refresh, okay? So we're going to go to the gospel story. We're going to do that. In fact, if you would, would you turn your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1. We live in story. In fact, our lives are story. Our lives are not simply a series of mechanical movements and transactional activities. Uh, Certainly there are mechanics and certainly there are transactions that play a part of defining our own lives, but ultimately our lives are story. And that's wonderful because the gospel is story. And the gospel ultimately is story that is there to be our story. And as we move through story, in fact, I would even suggest that the entire Bible is story. Not fake story, not a fable story, but true story. So walk with me. Three scenes, I think, as we see in the gospel. Uh, Scene number one begins in Genesis chapter one in the first four words of the Bible. In fact, every version, translation of the English Bible has the same first four words and for a good reason because they are profound. And we have a tendency to read right past the first four words and just start like, let's get on with the game. But the first four words set the entirety of the story on the table for us. So let's go there to the first four words. And as you look at your Bible, uh, uh, the first four words are, you say them with me, in... The beginning, in the beginning, God. A few very important things about these first four words. It is not saying that God began. It is not saying that. It is saying that there is some kind of beginning. We'll clarify that. But it is actually saying that God was before the beginning. Uh, There is no beginning to God. God is transcendently uh, uh, omnipresent, existing uh, for eternity. In fact, a few passages of Scripture, Deuteronomy 33, 27, it says, the eternal God. We have in Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, everlasting, you are God. And then here's when I love this. Isaiah 57, 15. God inhabits eternity. I love that. That's a profound statement. Uh, Eternity, basically, God is eternity. God is, God was, God pre-existed anything that was created that we are aware of. I'll add Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then I'll bring in uh, one year ago from today, we as a church began a series uh, that was called A Radiant God uh, uh, Grasping His Greatness. And we began with that with statements, our God is And we began with, our God is eternal and self-existent. You got to start with that. You need to begin with that fact. God did not become, God has always been. Always. We can't put our minds around that. 
And I'll just add from that series, our God is eternal, our God is self-existent, and triune, self-sufficient, unchanging creator. He is all-powerful, all-present, uh, all-knowing, all-holy. He is a covenant maker. He's long-suffering. He's sovereign. He is faithful. He is just. He is merciful. He is jealous. He is grace. He is good. Our God is love. Our God is radiant. We studied. That is our God. In the beginning, God, pre-existent. Never a beginning. God. Period. Now, at the beginning of the story, this is generally where a book or a movie goes into the middle of the story. Because you don't want to tell the end of the story because, oh, my, my, my. If you tell the end of the story, you ruin the rest of the story. Actually, there are some stories, there are some shows that actually make an opening statement and then tell the end of the story. Like, uh, this is going to age me, Columbo. Columbo. Yeah, that, that was back, uh, yeah, that was some years ago. Columbo, you'd find out who died and you'd find out who was the murderer. And then actually the interesting part of the story was finding out what you already know was Columbo finding it out. Uh, here's one of the things I would suggest with Scripture, if we could hear just for a moment. We just talked about the beginning. I actually want to go to the end of the story, so please open your, turn your Bibles to Revelation 21 and 22. I want to go to the end of the story, because if we get the beginning of the story and the end of the story, the big question that comes out is, well, we'll get there in just a second. Let's go to the end of the story, Revelation 21. We're not going to ruin the story. We're actually going to make the story crazy profound here. The ending of the story. Revelation 21. Uh, let me begin uh, beginning verse 1, chapter 21. Uh, John says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, that's interesting. Uh, if Just take the beginning of the story, forget everything else for a little while, and come to that. A new heaven and a new earth. Well, Sam Bam, there must have been a heaven and an earth. Uh, well, there's a new one, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What first heaven? What first earth? And the sea was no more. What sea? And that was the holy Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place. The idea of that term right there, the tabernacling place of God is with man is with mankind, and he will dwell with them, he will tabernacle with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Wait a second, what tears? What death? Oh, um, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things... What former things? The former things have passed away. Uh, go to verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. I will be her God, and he will be my son, my daughter. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murders, for sexually immoral, for sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Whoa. So there are people that are there, and there are people that are not in this eternal place where God dwells. Uh, go to verse 22, chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. What Lamb? 
Go to chapter 22, uh, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's interesting. I've kind of already alluded to it because if you just set aside the middle story for a little bit, you have a beginning. In the beginning, God. And then you have this ending that that has God present. God is present there. God is present here. But then we have information about a, a heavens and an earth and crying and pain, and, and there are those that, that are, are in this as his people, those are those who are not his people, and, and it leads you to go, what in the world happened in the middle? What happened? By the way, the other question that comes to my mind is this. I know this. I want to be there. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of here in a lot of ways after this last year. And when I read about like that, hey, if I die today, don't weep for me. I'm good. Okay? But it does bring the question, how do I know that? How can one know that? I just know this. I want to be there. So what happened in the middle? Well, that's what I want to spend a few moments on. The gospel story. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1. You see, the Bible opens with four words that are a profound beginning of the story. The last two chapters of the Bible contain the final words of, of the finality of the story. Everything in between is about, if you will, the center screen. What's happening in between? Let, let's spend a little bit of time here. And we begin with this fact because God is eternal. God, whatever takes place, God is present in this middle story. We know that. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. God what? Well, the middle story starts with God created. Know this, God created. God created. And God created the heavens and earth. That's interesting because over here, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Now I understand there's a first one and then, then there's a second one. We start out with that. God created everything. You see Genesis chapter 1 of God creating all that. And know this, God is present in his creation. He's not farming it out. God is hands-on in the creation of it all. Present in the creation of it all. It's all about God's presence from beginning to middle to end. And God is present in creation. Now look at verse 27 and 28 in this creation account. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created mankind. There's a uniqueness about mankind that created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion of it. Here are these two individuals to get the whole program started. 
And they are created in the image of God in this uniqueness, and they are given this task by God as image bearers to, I would say it this way, to spread the manifest presence of God over the face of the earth. By the way, think about this just for a moment. God creates the heavens. I would call it a God-sized universe. We will never find the end of it. Because it's God-sized. And yet in this massive, massive light years thing, there's this tiny little speck called earth that God does something uniquely right there. By the way, Doug, do you think that there's people on other planets? No, I don't. Because there's an earth and it's a new earth where God dwells in the future. That's not my notes, just a note. But there's something special happening. God on this tiny little dot floating around in this gigantic God-sized universe, God is doing something there in that spot that is unlike anywhere else in a God-sized universe. He's created a man and a woman and he's put him there. And God has said, hey, I want you all over this thing. I want what I would call the, the tabernacling manifest presence of me. Because know this, I am transcendently present, omnipresent every but I want a manifest presence among you as image bearers in a way unlike anywhere else in the universe. And God puts them in a temple. It's called Eden. What is a temple about? A temple is about where God's Shekinah glory, where God's manifest presence uh, resounds. It's there, it's represented there in a unique way than any other way outside of the temple of the Old Testament. And I would suggest that Eden is the first temple grounds. And so Adam and Eve are in this and God is manifesting uh, himself with them. In fact, as you look at uh, chapter three, uh, we find out that Adam and Eve bite it. They make the decision, by the way, God creates them with the ability to have the decision because otherwise there is no real love relationship. Just created as a robotic entity, there's no relationship there of real love. You have to have the choice to choose relationship with the person, otherwise that's a fake relationship. So God in his wisdom creates Adam and Eve with his ability to make this choice. And you know what? They make the wrong choice, just like you and I do every day. My way's better. My diggity dog going this way is going to be better than what God would have in his plans. And they bite it. And we see in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God is uniquely present in that place, tabernacling himself with Adam and Eve. And he's wanting them to ultimately to spread that reality throughout this earth place, and yet they sin. And God is walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, what do they do? They hid themselves. Now they are hiding from God. By the way, it says that they hid themselves from the presence of God. Interesting statement. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, Adam, where are you? Know this, the omnipresent God knew where he was. But there's a teaching in there. And by the way, for Adam and Eve, there's a hearing thing to be learned from that. God 
in his grace and his kindness doesn't just go and blast the whole thing to smithereens. Instead, God says even at the sin in chapter 3 that I already have a plan. One will come who will deal Satan a lethal blow. By the way, that's called Christmas. Remember Christmas? Yeah. And the incarnation. But Adam and Eve bite it. And in that, it's important to understand the devastating separation that comes out of it. Let me read for you some passages of Scripture that talk about the depth of the separation that sin has caused in the story of things. Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. This is right before Noah. And that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Wow. Isaiah 59-2, your iniquities have separated you from your God so that he cannot hear you. Oh, God is transcendently present, but there is a separation that has taken place. Uh, Jonah 1.10, this is fascinating to me. And Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. That's what happened in the garden, and we find Jonah doing the same thing. Another one, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your sins upon sins in which you walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and by nature, children of wrath. God created and yet broken it became. Separated in need of being restored. Verse four of chapter two of Ephesians, but God, rich in mercy. I gotta tell you, if I was God, I just would have fried the whole thing. You annoying humans. But no, God is showing something about himself that is awesome. And Christ comes. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins and brokenness. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead for as in Adam all die, so in Christ you shall be made alive. Woohoo! Refreshed. Here's some more. Uh, John 1:12. But to all who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children not uh, uh, born of, of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Oh, there is a transaction. Something does take place. Romans 8, there is still therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit. Is life. And peace. Refreshed. Excuse me. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. By the way, that begins to make sense on why then in Revelation 21 and 22, there are those that are there with and there are those that are not. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, tabernacles in you, He who raised Christ from the dead. He will also give life to your mortal bodies. Thank God. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 1 John 2, 2, but we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. He is the appeaser for our sins. And this is the testimony, 1 John 5, that he has given eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He or she who has the Son has life. He or she who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Apparently, friends, this reality can be known, not just wished for. First Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I, Paul, am the foremost. And one more. Acts 3.19 and 20. Acts 3.19 and 20 says, Repent, therefore, and turn that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. Excuse me, I almost wiped my nose with my mask. That would have been bad for everybody. The beginning story. In the beginning, God. The ending story. Oh, my friends, I want to be there. The story in the middle, created in his image. 
to have a, a, a dominioning reality within this God-sized universe on this tiny little place called Earth to expand the presence of the Lord all around that thing, to fill that round floating thing full of people in the presence of the Lord and God doing work in their lives. But sin came in and it broke it. But God knew it. And God sent, oh, not someone else, not, not, not a representative. No, no, God sent himself out of the triune unity, the second person of the Trinity. No, no, God stepped into our world. Born at Christmas, lived through to the point to be crucified on the cross, to pay for the debt that we cannot pay. Rising from the dead, conquering sin and death, not to show off, but to provide for anyone who would be willing to receive Christ's work done for them in their place for their Savior to have life with God. And not only just in eternity, by the way. We're not talking fire insurance. We're talking about life. We're talking about presence with God. Oh, God is transcendently present. But the question is, is God in himself through the spirit manifestly present in your life? You see, that's the climactic reality of it, the story in the middle. What do people choose? Allow me to clarify and then allow me to testify from Scripture. Uh, don't turn there, but you can write it down if you're taking notes. Mark chapter 4. Let me clarify. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is talking. And Jesus says there are four soils. There are basically four responses to the gospel. In that, soil number one, it's called the hard soil. It's, it hears the good news, the great news of the gospel story. And it's kind of like, good for you. I'm not interested. Nah, not my thing. It can be cordially rejected. It can be violently rejected. But ultimately it is rejected, not for me. The second and the third soil have similarities. There is this, literally in the talk, there is this, that the soil, uh, these persons, they receive the word, but in that, uh, one either because of, it's not like, you know what, I want to receive Jesus so that my best life is now. Uh, and actually, life, I didn't get the check in the mail. Or I received Jesus Christ as my savior and all my problems aren't solved. Like, I thought that's what this was about. No, that's not what it's about. And I think Jesus is saying for that person who made some momentary movement towards the Lord, I'm just gonna say it straight up because I think Jesus did. 
you're not redeemed because you never received the gospel of the scriptures. The third person is the person who ends up, uh, has this moment with the Lord, and then really their life becomes all about stuff. I mean, you know, we got stuff to do and stuff to have and shots to get and things to go and places to be. And, you know, by the way, I'm with people and I got to look good with people. And, you know, I got to this and that and busy my career and, you know, my family and busy, 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 busy. And the world chokes it out. As lovingly as I can, because I think Jesus was very loving in what he was communicating, he was trying to help people understand. Soil one, two, and three, I never knew you. There really was no relationship because there's been no lasting to it. Oh, soil four is what Jesus was pointing to. Soil four is a soil that's been tilled up and it's ready and it hears of the word and it receives the word and the seed goes in and what happens? It's not momentary. You see, it puts who it is. It's it's nutrients, it's life into the seed and the seed begins to grow and its roots begin to penetrate in. And out of that, the plant begins to grow out and there is fruit that is born. You see, you walk by and you know the difference between these kinds of soils. And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm talking about. Not perfect. And it's not a competition of who produces more fruit. The text says 30, 60, 100 fold. But the point of it is, is that coming to know Christ as your savior bears fruit out of it and has lastingness to it. And Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I came for. And that's what I call of you. Which one are you? You see, it's... I'm saying that, no judgment. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, I never knew you. You see, the very worst thing that I could do as a human and as a pastor and as someone who loves people and who loves the Lord, not perfectly by any means, but is to play a game such that you end up fooling yourself. The most loving thing that I could do today on the beginning of 2021 is to lean into you and ask, do you really know Christ? Because friend, it has present consequences and eternal consequences. That, excuse me, that testified. Let me finish with the story of Paul, Philippians chapter three. Paul tells his story of exactly, I think, what I'm talking about here. He says, verse 4, I myself, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he or she has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law of Pharisee, as the zeal persecutor of the church, as the righteous under the law, blameless. In other words, Paul is saying this. 
If you want to think that you're religious as possible before the Lord, know this, I was more. I did it all, I worked it all, I worked my way, I was religious, unreligious, unreligious, unreligious. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. When it came right down to it, it was all a loss. Listen, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Friends, it's not just mechanical. It's not just transactional. It's relational. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And then verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this and I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself having made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straying forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, that is a testimony that it is way more than mechanical, transactional thing with God. It is life with. It is life that changes everything about who we are, what we are about, and what we're headed to. And one thing we've learned in 2020 is this world will disappoint. This is not heaven on earth. But one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. person who has received Christ and is seeking to persevere on in relationship with the Lord, soil number four. Let's press on. Refreshed. It's not by our works. It didn't start that way. It doesn't continue that way. It's about a loving, engaging relationship with the Lord that blows our mind that there is nothing else. It is not about how others have disappointed, about how church people have disappointed, about how family is disappointed. Well, I know Christians who are like jerks. Me too. I've been hurt. I've been crushed by people in my life. But that is no excuse because our hope is not in people. We're all hypocrites. Welcome to the team. But pressing on to know Christ. Soil two and three, you are the ones I am deeply concerned about. You've had maybe in your life some time where you've had a, a short season of engagement with the Lord and kind of fired up about the Lord, but really when you look on your life, there's, there's been no change. There's been no engagement. There's been no lasting fruit that's come out. It's no judgment. I just say, know where you're at. And here's the cool thing. The Lord doesn't sit back and go, I want to spit you out of my mouth. The Lord is going, come on. Come on. 
I would love to have you on my team. Soil number one. Maybe this whole thing is like, Doug, you annoy me. This whole story annoys me. I just want to go home and weep over IU losing. I just want you to know that you are loved. I mean that. And if you ever want to talk, we would love to talk. And might I push you to go, might you rethink? Might you rethink? And there's a couple books for all. I just want to leave it and then we're going to partake in communion. First book, Greg Gilbert, What is the Gospel? Fantastic little book, just talking in greater depth than what we've talked about today, going down. What is the Gospel? Greg Gilbert. Another book, just love it for its title, J.D. Greer. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. For the person particularly who's really struggling with, after talking, well, how do I know if I'm saved? He just goes into that uh, deeper, fantastic book. Another uh, two books, they kind of go together. Uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Um, uh, Qureshi. Um, I'm just going to say, in our day, you need to read this. But a young man seeking to prove that Allah is who God is. And it just tells his story. It's fascinating and engaging and super helpful. And ladies, for you, similar to that, hmm. sorry, I don't know where that came from. Um, defying Jesus, or defying, ah, too much emotion today in all this. Defying Jihad, Esther Ahmad, her story of coming to know Christ and all the sacrifice that it brought about. Hey, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there would be no better way to start 2021 out. And in fact, here's what I'm going to put on the table. I would love for not our pastors, not our elders, because I just want to start 2021 with our, fam, our church family engaged. If, if you love sitting down and sharing the gospel with someone, if you would just, at the end of the service, if you'd be up here, and then if there's anybody who is in this room today who's like, I just got a couple questions, or I'd just like to know a little bit more, you got some peeps up here to be able to have some conversation with. Regular people. Okay? Got that? So anyone from our church family just want to make available and you love that, come on up. And then after the service, if anybody wants to talk to them, please do. And Lord, we celebrate you and we rejoice in you and we hold your name high. This is all about you, but it is also about us. Because the work that you have done has grand ramifications to the reality of who we are now. And there is a choice on the table. Where from here? Where from here? Lord, I pray for the person in this room who um, maybe even is a bit uncomfortable or this is the first time they've stepped into church or uh, this isn't their church home or maybe this is their church home but they're just asking the question of, I don't know if I have relationship with you. 
I'm not sure what that's about. Lord, I pray that they would honestly rejoice in that fact because they can find out and they can know for sure. To be able to have the manifest presence of the Lord cover and provide and do a work that is not because we are great, but because you are. And so we adore you and we hold you high and we lift your name and we bow before you. God, do a work in our lives for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.